Again, we're blessed to have Elder Michael Hathaway with us and his family. They live in Allentown, Georgia. Allentown is about halfway between Macon and Dublin. Um, they got a post office in one light. Okay. So you got to, when you're going through there, you can't doze. You'll miss it for sure. I can't say enough good things about this family. I really can't. Uh, they have taken care of me, no telling how many times over the years. It'd be interesting to know how many days and nights I've spent in their home. They eat me bluebell ice cream anytime I'm coming, and, uh, and they just shoot the works, so to speak. But they're a wonderful family. I thank God for knowing them and being with them over these years, and hope you'll pray for Brother Michael as he speaks to us this morning. indeed a wonderful blessing to be with you here this morning. Um, your pastor, Brother Ronald, is very dear to me and uh, my wife and family, and he, he's already taken away all of my introductory remarks about him uh, being her pastor and uh, marrying us and the wonderful times that we've shared together. Uh, consider him uh, a father in the ministry and a uh, a wonderful blessing to me in my life. I'm, extreme, I'm extremely thankful to be uh, here with you. I hope that you will continue to be in a mind of prayer as we uh, continue uh, our worship service this morning. We've been up in the Indiana Fellowship meeting, and um, these guys here on this row were up there with us, and they let us know last night that they were going to be over here this morning and they said now we're coming to Bethel in the morning uh, so you better have something new <laughs> well I tried <laughs> I know that the Lord is able to bless if he's in the matter then we'll go away glad that we were in the house of the Lord this morning I'd like to turn your attention this morning to the book of Ephesians the book of Ephesians is um, no doubt one of the more favored books of the New Testament when it comes to our doctrine and when it comes to the teaching of our practice and what we believe in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, when it comes to how we ought to respond in our walk, in our lives, the book of Ephesians is one of the most clear uh, books of all the Bible. And um, it's very easily divided for us. It has six chapters in it, and the first three chapters deal mainly with doctrinal issues. It uh, deal mainly with the work of salvation, what God the Father has done for us before the world began, what the Lord Jesus Christ finished uh, and, and, and procured for us on the cross, and what the Holy Spirit has done for us in our experience here in time. And then in verse uh, chapter 4, excuse me, it, there's a transition there to, to talk about things Paul admonishes and um, uh, encourages this church of their response of, of how to live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord because of all he's done for us. And so I'd like to look at um, three words throughout the book of Ephesians. I think we can... Um, kind of outline this book in three different words, and I'll read those verses just by way of introduction this morning. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6, 
The Apostle Paul says, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's three different, I should have said this, there's three different postures, there's three different positions that we can find throughout the book of Ephesians, and one of them is sitting. He's made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Well, if we flip over to chapter 4 and verse 1, we find another posture that he mentions here. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So first he says sit, and then he says walk. And then over the, toward the end of the book, in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 11, he mentions this word several times. We'll read verse 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I had a, a title for this morning, but what's on my mind is those three postures, sit, walk, and stand. In the first part of Ephesians, we've already noted that it deals with the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to know this morning that you and I can sit in the finished work of the Lord on our behalf we can rest and rest assured that the, that the work of salvation is completed and procured for you and I. Uh, you all are sitting. The, 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 the posture of sitting is a, is a position of rest. Where is the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Or what does the Bible say after he finished the work of the, when he, uh, in Ephesians, excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 when it says, when he had by himself purged our sins. By the way, when, when our sins were purged, Jesus Christ was by himself. There was no help for him or with him alongside of him on the cross. When your sins and mine were purged, they were purged completely when the Lord Jesus Christ was by himself. And then what does the Bible say that he did after that? The Bible says that he sat down. Now why did Jesus sit down? Did he sit down because he was tired <laughs> he sat down because he was worn out and no he sat down because the job was completed our redemption was completed the word the forgiveness that the lord jesus christ came to uh, procure was done and don't you know this morning would you agree that if jesus christ is sitting and resting in his work you and i can too ephesians chapter one i, I know this is very familiar ground this morning, but I just want us to be reminded about some things that you and I can sit and rest in the finished work of the Lord and our salvation. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, according as He, that's God, hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now that verse right there tells us in the beginning or before time ever began what the Lord God did for us that you and I can sit and rest in. It says that he chose us before. That's an amazing thought to me. Before almighty God ever said, let there be, 
anything. He chose a people in His Son before the world ever began. Isn't that wonderful to know this morning? That He looked upon a people that was unlovable and loved them anyway. He looked upon a people that was unchoosable, nothing um, attractive about us. I was reminded this week of the times um, when the Bible says that the Lord looked down from heaven. Several places, at least uh, two or three, the Bible says the Lord looked down from heaven to see if there were any that did uh, please Him or if there were any that did seek after Him. And what did he find when he looked down from the heavenly, holy throne of heaven? This is what the conclusion was. He says, they are all gone aside. They are all turned unto their own way. You know, I have some good friends of mine and I love them very much and I'm not picking on them. I'm just going to say this to make distinction they, they explained to me the doctrine of um, election kind of like this, that before time ever began, that God looked down to see who would choose Him or who would, or, or who would confess their sins or, or who would be baptized or who would persevere. You know, there's a lot of qualifications that man adds to the work of salvation. But when, when God looked down, every time the Bible says God looked down upon the children of men, there was nothing good that he found in anyone. He didn't choose. He didn't make a choice of a people based on what he saw in them. He made a choice of a people based on nothing other than his sovereign, unexplicable love. I, uh, I made the illustration some time ago about when I was a produce manager at a little mom and pop grocery store in Gray, Georgia, a little town in Gray, Georgia. And, you know, those customers would come through the produce case and when they made choice, when you and I make choices in the grocery store, when we choose squash or tomatoes or or watermelon, you know, you thump the watermelon and you squeeze the tomato and you inspect everything. You, you pick out the best. That's what we do when we go to the grocery store. We pick out the very best of the case. I don't know of anybody that goes to the grocery store and picks out the most rotten fruit and vegetables they can find. Do you? <laughs> well, let me tell you, when God made a choice of a people, we were all rotten and undone in His eyes. But He loved us anyway. Isn't that wonderful to think about this morning? He chose us anyway. He, ch he chose us out of that fallen state. And I want us to be reminded that we can rest in that. You and I can sit down and rest in the work of God the Father before the world began and choosing us. And not only did He choose us, the Bible says having predestinated us. Don't be afraid of that word. It's found enough times in the Bible that we, can, we ought to know what it means. I remember I shared this too when, uh, when I was a young teenager coming up in the church and people asked me, well, what do primitive Baptists believe? You ever been asked that question? <laughs> what do primitive Baptists believe? Well, we believe in the doctrine of predestination. You know how we say that a lot of times. And a lot of times we want to shy away from that word. Don't shy away from that word. That's the most beautiful doctrine of the Bible. Predestination simply means that those who He chose, He marked out and foreordained to be with Him one day. That takes the responsibility um, off of us 
to do anything to procure our salvation. Because you know what we would do? If anything was left, to, if anything was left up to us for salvation, you know what you and I would do? We'd find a way to mess it up like we do everything else. <laughs> if there was anything left, but God loved us enough not to leave anything left for us to finish. He predestinated us, determined beforehand for you and I to be with Him one day. Rest in that, child of God, this morning. That, that, that a God, that an almighty God for, that, that, that declared the, uh, the end from the beginning loved you from the beginning enough to foreordain your destiny eternally to be with Him one day. And how did He do that? According to what? <laughs> According to the good pleasure of the sinner's will? According to the good pleasure of the preacher's will? No, according to the good pleasure of His will. That's how He did that. And the next verse tells us about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7 does, that you and I can rest in. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, In whom we have, we have, present tense, we, in whom we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> redemption is not something that... Um, he, that Paul is trying to get these people to try to go out and hunt down and try to get. Redemption is something that says we have it right now. In whom we have redemption. That word just simply means to be bought back from a, from a, a position of slavery to bondage of sin and death. You and I have been bought, how? By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish. We've been redeemed, have been redeemed through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. I love the word picture in that word forgiveness. It means to pardon. It also means to roll away. Your sins have been forgiven. You know what that means? They've been rolled away. To where? Well, first they were rolled away on the Lord Jesus Christ. They were rolled back. See, Walmart thinks they came up with that phrase. Walmart didn't come up with that phrase. That's been a biblical, that's been a biblical um, a word or, or illustration since the Bible was written. Our sins have been forgiven, rolled away. And, you're, and the Lord Jesus Christ has paid the price for those sins, and you know where they are now? The Bible says they've been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. That's an amazing thought to me that a God who knows all, knows the end from the beginning, He knows everything, but there's one thing that He doesn't remember, and that's your sins and mine, because they were, bought, they were paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Past tense. I want us to rest in that this morning. I want us to sit down and be at a rested position and posture in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I love the, uh, there's a phrase over in Hebrews um, chapter 9 where it talks about the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ that says um, that when he entered in, not with the blood of uh, goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place. Now listen to this. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. 
I want us to be assured and reminded that when the Lord Jesus Christ entered into the holiest with His own blood and offered Himself to God, He obtained something. He, he didn't just make something available. He, just, he didn't make something uh, um, uh, possible. He made something obtained, not obtainable, but He obtained something. And the Bible says what He obtained was redemption and redemption eternally. In other words, that redemption that you and I have can never be lost. Otherwise, it wouldn't be eternal redemption, would it? He obtained eternal redemption for us. I want us to be reminded and rejoice. Rejoicing in the fact that we can sit down in that. Hebrews chapter 2, of course, tells us about the work of the third person of the Trinity. The work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. Where it begins this way, in you hath He, God, quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past, listen, this is, very, this is very blunt language, wherein in time past you walked how? Seeking God? You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in times past, and the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. And I read all that. Just read this next phrase. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, wherewith that great love He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath, hath quickened us. <laughs> That's past tense. All of that has already been done for you and I to sit like we are this morning and rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. Well, have you ever been asked the question or ever been presented with the argument, well, if I believe that, people have a lot of things to say, well, if I believe what you believe, I just live any old kind of way. Or y'all believe, you ever been told this, y'all believe that there's nothing left for us to do, that we could just live any old kind of way and sin, uh, get our fill of sin and walk any old kind of way. Well, the Bible has a very different perspective on that. Don't let anybody, uh, don't, don't let anybody tell you what, believe, what, what you believe that you don't believe. <laughs> we don't believe that, do we? He makes a transition in chapter 4. After he assures us that we can sit and rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he makes a transition. And the word therefore is in that first verse. He says, I beseech you. No, he says, therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, I implore you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. There's some walking. What when it's... When we speak of uh, the posture of walking, the activity of walking, it has to do with our conduct of living. It has to do with our behavior in life and how we live, how we walk, how we live, the decisions that we make. He says, therefore, I beseech you, therefore, in other words, based on what God has done for you that you can sit in, Therefore, I beseech you that you live like it, that you walk in a way that's worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. By the way, that word worthy there, it doesn't mean, 
He's not saying here to get worthy, that you get worthy. He's not telling us to get worthy, to walk in a way that we can get worthy of the Lord. We find that expression a couple of times, a few times in the New Testament. Walk worthy of the Lord, he says to, writes to the church at Colossae. Uh, he prays for the church actually at the Colossae. What a wonderful Wonderful example that we should, we could pray for each other and ourselves and our church. Verse 10 of chapter 1 of Colossians says, He's praying that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, that used to give me a lot of angst and, and my misunderstanding of what that meant when he talks about walking worthy. How, how can you and I ever walk in a way to make us worthy? Well, that's not what he's saying. He's not, he's not saying the worthy here does not describe the you. The worthy in this verse is describing how we ought to walk. Walk worthily. In fact, if, you look, if we were to look up this word in the concordance, it's, it's more used as an adverb describing how we ought to walk. Walk worthily. In other words, walk in a way that is worthily of the Lord that saved you. And he tells us how to do that in a handful of places right here in this passage. And I think we can find the, <clears throat> the, the best place to begin in my mind is in the first verse of chapter 5 where he says, how do we walk? How, how do we live? How do we conduct our lives. He says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. You know how we ought to walk in this life? Be followers of God. Be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing that song sometimes in our hymnal that says, Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. We would follow the footsteps of Jesus wherever they go. Don't you wish that could be your prayer this morning, that you would follow the Lord Jesus Christ wherever He would lead and in whatever He would lead you to do. Be followers of the Lord. That's how we walk worthy. Is there any way to walk worthily of the Lord outside of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? <laughs> Is there any way to follow the Lord? Is there any way to, to, to walk in a worthily, well-pleasing way and not follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Be ye therefore followers of the Lord. And he tells us some ways to walk. In fact, the very next verse says this. And walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us. And given himself for us. An offering and a sweet and, and a sacrifice to God. For a sweet smelling savor. Now I want to. Make a quick point, a quick doctrinal point about this verse. <clears throat> Who Christ offered himself to is in this verse. I have a lot of very good friends who frame salvation in a conversation that Christ is offering himself to the sinner to accept. Well, this verse tells us that he offered himself to God for us. He's not offering himself to you for God. He's, 
He's not doing God a favor, if you'll allow me to put it that way, by offering himself to you. He's doing you and I the greatest blessing by offering himself to God. Because you see, it was God who was offended by sins. He offered himself as a sacrifice to God. Now, what our response ought to be? Walk in love. Let your conduct of living and your behavior of life be a walk and a labor of love. Fervent charity, I, I think the Apostle Peter says. Have fervent charity one toward another. You know, if we're going to be followers of the Lord, we're going to have to walk in love for each other, aren't we? <laughs> love one another. He said... Uh, this new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Boy, that's a tall order, isn't it? Walk in love. Love for each other. Love for God. Love for the church collectively. He also says that in the previous chapter, he gives us another way to walk worthy and be followers of the Lord. He says in chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth, in other words, henceforth from now forward, that you walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Now that's an interesting statement because the Ephesian church was they were Gentiles. It was a Gentile church, and he's telling them to don't walk like Gentiles or don't walk like other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. In other words, that word vanity means corruptness. I think we can read this like this this morning. Don't walk as other Gentiles walk, as the world outside walks. Don't walk like the world. You know, our walk as children of God and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, our walk ought to be different than this world. Would you agree with that? <laughs> we ought to walk in a different way. No matter where we are, whether we're on the college campus or, or down in the factory or in the, or, or in the classroom, no matter where we are, our walk ought to be different. And people should be able to uh, um, determine that our walk is different. You know, I had a conversation with a young man uh, up in Indiana this weekend and he said something about it. he made the comment that you know he he he, he, he kind of shies away from wearing t-shirt religious t-shirts you know that identify him uh, with with being a Christian and the and the reason that he said he did is because he thinks that people ought to be able to tell by the way that he walks not by what he wears <laughs> as a young man I, I I admire that don't you people ought to be able to tell by the way we walk not necessarily by uh, how we're dressed. If anybody going to your car this morning saw you going to your car, I guarantee you they would know that you're going to church. There were some people that were riding up and down the road when I was uh, putting the luggage in the car this morning. I know they knew where I was headed this morning by the way that I dressed. But I want people to know that the Lord has done something for me not just by the way that I dress, but by, by the way I behave and conduct my life. Don't walk like the world walks. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, um, verse 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy and beloved and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. I got that mixed up, but this is the verse that I'm after. And be not conformed to this world. Don't be conformed. Don't conform yourself to look like, act like, talk like, walk like this world. Don't walk like other Gentiles walk. Why? Because we ought to walk worthily of the vocation wherewith we are called. Because we've been made to sit in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says back a few verses from that same verse we were looking at in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 2, he says this. By grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, not by good works, but unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should what? Walk in them. Walk in good works. Not only don't look like the world, but walk in good works in a way that reflects our appreciation and our praise for what the Lord has done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. He mentions a little ways over in, ver in chapter 5 and verse 8. Tells us another way to walk. He says, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I want us to notice what that doesn't say. It doesn't say ye sometimes walked in darkness. That would be true. That's a true statement. You and I by nature, in our natural condition, we walked in darkness. But it doesn't, this language is a little stronger than that. It says ye were sometimes darkness. By nature, in the depravity of our sinful condition, we were at some time darkness. But now, what made the difference? <laughs> the favor of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ made the difference. But now, are you light in the world? How ought we to respond? Walk as children of light. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples, ye are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. If it, he asked the question, he says there, well, maybe I, you are the light of the world. And he says something there about a, a man, no man lighteth a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick for all to see. And then he says this. Ye are the light of the world, if I can find that real quickly. Uh, I don't want to waste too much time looking for it. You would think I could find it it's right here somewhere. You are the light of the world. No man lighteth a candlestick and putteth it, puts it under a bushel, but on a candlestick so that all can see. <laughs> There it is. Let your light so shine. That's what it says. Let your light so shine that others may see your good works and what? 
give you an attaboy, pat you on the back and let you know how good you're a good a Christian you are. No, that others may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. You see it all. The praise all goes back to him. Even our walk, it all goes back to him. The last little phrase there that he mentions, and I'll move on to the last point that I want to make this morning. He says over in chapter 5, there down just a little ways, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly. That's a big word that we don't use a lot in our modern day vernacular. Circumspectly. That's a big word. It has a very simple meaning. Circum, meaning circumference, or circle, or around. Spectly, meaning um, looking at spectacles, comes from the same word, how we look all around. In other words, walk, walk circumspectly, knowing our surroundings. Have you ever been caught somewhere in your own conscience? You ever been caught somewhere where you had no business being? You don't have to nod your head for that. <laughs> I say that because I have. I've been places before and my life that something has hit me like a ton of bricks and I said wait a minute what what am I doing here I have no business being here in this place surrounded in this environment I tell you if you and I aren't careful we'll find ourselves just by the old man that we still carry around we'll find ourselves in situations and circumstances that we have no business being in walk circumspectly know our surroundings you know why and this will lead into my last point, and I promise I'll close after that. Why we ought to walk so circumspectly? Because Peter tells us about our adversary. He says, um, be watchful. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, who? The president, Congress, your elected officials, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your adversary, your pastor. No, none of them are your adversaries. <laughs> well, we have an adversary. And Peter says his name is the devil. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That's why we ought to walk circumspectly because he is on the prowl. What about it this morning? Can, can you say in your experience that you have seen the work of your adversary? You know what the Lord Jesus Christ told Peter one time? He told Peter that Satan desired to have him to sift him as wheat. Do you think Peter's the only one that the devil would desire to have to sift as wheat? No, I tell you, if he could have his way, he would have all of us to sift as wheat. He's a, he is a destroyer to families and lives. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour and sift as weak. See then that you walk circumspectly, knowing that. I told the folks at home some time back that, um, you know, when I have to go outside at night, we live in, in very rural South Georgia. 
Sometimes I'll have to go out to the, uh, the truck that I park in the yard to, to get something out of the truck. And when I, carry, when I walk to the truck or outside at night, period, I carry a flashlight because that area that we're in is infested with rattlesnakes. And I don't want one. <laughs> in fact, I saw one on our road a couple of years ago, a little small one. But you know where there are small ones, there are big ones. And I carry my, uh, my cell phone, and I'm looking all about. I have a, uh, I have a not a fear, but I almost have a, uh, I'm, I'm going to get bit by a snake one day. I just kind of know that. I don't know how I know that, but I just feel. I, I have a feeling that there's a snake out there one day with my name on it, and he's going to strike me. He, I don't know where he is or when, when we're going to meet. I took the kids fishing uh, some weeks ago down in a pond that's right down below our house, and... Um, uh, my neighbor's my neighbor's pond. He said, "Now you be careful. I just killed a big rattlesnake." And he showed me the picture of the rattlesnake. So I had the kids all behind me, and I was walking, looking, circumspectly looking to make sure that there was no snake in the way that was going to pose danger to me or my children. You know, there's danger in this world. We need to walk circumspectly and realize that it's out there. Not as fools, but as wise. Let me close with this very quickly, this last point. In Ephesians chapter 6, after he tells us that we can sit in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us how to behave and conduct our lives in a posture of walking worthily of the Lord, following Him. And then he says in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, put on therefore... The whole, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He's reminding us there again of where our fight lies. It's not on the battlefield of... Washington, it's on the battlefield of the spiritual warfare that you and I engage in against our adversary. Spiritual wickedness in high places. He says, wherefore, knowing that, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he says, stand therefore. <laughs> stand Withstand, stand, and stand. I kind of get the feeling that the Apostle Paul wants us to be standing, don't you? Standing fast. In a posture of defense. And he goes on from here. I won't take time to get into this, but um, he goes on from here and he talks about that armor of God, the breastplate of righteousness, and the girdle of truth, and the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and the shield of faith, to quench the fiery darts of the devil. Talks about that at length. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, He tells us exactly how to stand fast and firm and not give way to the adversary. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. I pray that would be our resolve. <laughs> Not only to walk in a way that's well-pleasing to Him, but to stand and to stand fast and to stand firm 
for what is right. You know, we live in a world that seems to have the propensity to crumble under social pressure. <laughs> you look on the news and you see that happening all over the place. We live in a society that is crumbling under social pressure and there is no seemingly, um, f no seemingly feel or vision of what's right and wrong. No, no variance of what's right and wrong. Well, the Bible tells us what's right and what to stand on because of that. Sit, walk, and stand. In three different places in Ephesians, he mentions this in verse chapter 1. He mentions it again halfway through in chapter 3. And then he mentions it again as he is concluding the book in chapter 6. In fact, the very last, the end of that armor of God, he mentions the importance of prayer in our lives. It's important to be able to sit in the finished work of Jesus Christ, to walk in a way that's worthy, worthily of Him, a, a way that's well-pleasing. It's important for us to stand fast for what is right, but we couldn't do any of that without the important posture of kneeling in prayer. He prays for that church in chapter 3. He says, For this cause I bow my knee unto the God of heaven, that He strengthen you with all might by His Spirit in the inner man. You know, child of God, that's where we need to be strengthened for this spiritual warfare and for walking in a way that's pleased. We need to be strengthened with all might, by His Spirit. There's only one source of that strength, and it's His Spirit in the inner man. May God help us to rest in the finished work of salvation. And because of that, to walk in a way that reflects our thanks to God and discipleship to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and stand for what is right in this old sinful world that we live in. May God bless you is my prayer this morning.